Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that no matter what the day is, no matter what the year is, that it always remains true because you always remain true. We thank you for the words of peace and comfort and, and strength and empowerment that it gives to us. Lord, I pray that we truly take them to heart as we grow closer to you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I bet that if you turned on the radio right now, and if you didn't hit the station while the commercials were playing, uh, you'd hit a song that had something to do with love. Well, that's 99% of the songs on the radio. Something having to do with love. It would most likely either be a song about someone pining after someone else, or a love song towards a current significant other, or a song about a lost love, but it would have had something to do with love. Why do most popular songs have something to do with love? Why is it such a powerful song subject? Obviously, love is such a powerful song subject because love itself is the most powerful force in the world. Humans are not stupid. We know that. We know that love is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. But here's the problem. To us as humans, love can be such an enigma with such an array of definitions that we have a lot of trouble figuring out what love is. You say, we, yeah, I love or I believe in love. But it, it, it seems like it's so far out there, we can't actually have a grasp on what it actually is, what it actually means. And we've tried to come up with our own definitions of love, ranging from the most selfish motivations to the most self-destructive motivations. So when we read Galatians 5.22, and we read this, I, I know we already read it uh, on, on the screen, but if you want to open up with me to Galatians chapter 5, we're in verse 22, and we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and we read that the first fruit of the Spirit is, is love, we may not know what love really is, and we're still left scratching our heads and saying, okay, now what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's great. What does that mean? And as we hear so many times in so many songs, we ask, what is love? In order to understand what love really is, we need to look at the origin of love. And that just makes sense. Contrary, contrary to some, love is not a chemical reaction that happens in your brain that makes you have affection towards other people, as so many would attempt to theorize. If it was, that would be an incredibly shallow and meaningless definition of love, wouldn't it? Oh, that's just a chemical reaction going on in my brain. What is also incredibly important for us to realize is that love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It can't be a feeling. Feelings come and go. But what we'll see is that love lasts forever. Love cannot be based on any one person because we all know that humans will fail in loving perfectly. Love must be beyond any one of us in order to have survived for thousands and thousands of years. It has to be beyond us. 
So what is the origin? What is the starting place for figuring out what love is? Well, we read in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. Well, there you go. There's the origin. That is the simplest of definitions of what love is. God is love. Anyone who has ever taken an algebra class at any point knows that you try to solve the problem by finding out what, what the letter X represents, right? I was never that good at algebra, but at least, you, at least I got that much out of my algebra class. At the end of the problem, X and the resulting number were synonymous. They each equaled the other one. They were the same. So if we think of love as that X, we've discovered what is synonymous with love. God. By that logic, if we understand who God is, then we understand what love really is. And if we understand what God's love is, then we understand how we are to love. I mean, after all, in the very same chapter as the words God is love, we read, we love because he first loved us. So the first point that we come to, as, we, as we're looking at this very small portion of Scripture, but very powerful and very important portion of Scripture, is that love is faithful. Love is faithful. Since we know that God is love, then God himself is the very definition of love. God makes no mistakes. God never lacks in love. God never gives too much love or gives too little love. God is the perfection of love. God himself is love. As such, we see perfect love and faithfulness among the members of the Trinity. Every member exhibits what perfect love is. We read about God the Father. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. How precious it is. Earlier in this very letter, in, in Galatians, we read about Paul's personal experience with the Son of God's love. He says, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And right here in our passage this morning, we read that love also emanates from God the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I think the most telling revelation we have of the, of the role of the Holy Spirit in showing God's love to us as God's children is this. When Jesus was comforting his obviously emotionally distressed disciples, he gave them this promise. I will ask the Father and he will give, another, give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And who is that helper? That is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The word helper originally means a legal advocate in a court of law, but Jesus expands that definition to the Holy Spirit, describing him as a teacher, but also one who comes alongside of one to bring them comfort. Other translations will translate that word, I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. 
God originally created humankind to lavish his love on and for them to love him in return. Humanity chose to break that original connection with God, but that did not stop God from loving humanity. We stopped loving God, but that never stopped God from loving us. We see God's love throughout the Old Testament, most notably in relation with the forefathers of and including his people Israel. We read in, in Deuteronomy 10.15, Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. The Lord set his affection to love them. And then uh, elsewhere in Deuteronomy we read, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What incredible descriptions of God's love these are. Israel did not earn God's love. Israel didn't even choose God. God chose them. God chose to set his affection to love them. What does Moses say at the beginning? That God had set his love on them. That word means to cling to something. To set that word in the Hebrew means to cling to something. Like strapping a saddle on a donkey. That was the example for that word, strapping a saddle on, on a donkey. What seems like a weird word to use to describe God's love is actually very telling. God chose his people in every sense of the word. God chose to strap himself and his reputation to them. God chose to cling to them. No matter what they did, and no matter how many times they hurt him, he still strapped himself to them. He still clung to them. That's God's love. We read about time and time again of Israel's blatant disobedience, blatant defiance towards God. Even before Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two ta stone tablets of the law, the Israelites, those ones God had just freed from Egypt, back-breaking slavery in Egypt, had given Aaron some of the gold they had gotten from Egypt because of God. And what did Aaron do with that gold? He, made a, he, he melted it down, made an image of a calf out of it, and said this, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Oh, that must have broken God's heart. Those of you who have been attending our evening service and we're going through the book of Exodus, you know everything that God has done for his people up to this point. And yet this is what they're doing. That must have broken God's heart. Time and time again after that, 
after all that God had done in providing them sustenance and military victories and firmly establishing them in their own land, they had the audacity to build shrines and idols to other deities. But did that stop God from loving them? No. You would think it would. If I was God, it would make me, make me stop loving them. But that didn't stop God from loving them. At some times, God, as Israel's perfect father, he brought discipline on them. As Solomon wrote years before, the discipline would come. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. He rebuked them, he disciplined them, but that, never, that didn't mean he stopped loving them. Just because God loves does not mean that he will let his child keep going down the wrong path unimpeded. In fact, God loves his children so much that he will discipline them to bring them back to him. But at the same time, God is not an abusive father who smites out of anger or because he has fun doing it. Even in one of the most judgment-loaded books, Hosea, we read this description of an event how can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God and not man. Thank God, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. But look at that description. My heart is turned over within me. Do you think about God like that? All his compassions are kindled. Even as God was all ready to judge his people for their blatant disobedience, once again, what happens? God says that his heart is turned over in him. A lot of us know what that feels like, don't we? His heart was turned over in him. And all his compassions were kindled. God loves as a good and perfect father. He is not some emotionless tyrant who just meets out justice with a cold heart. Even God's discipline reveals his deep and passionate love for his people. What we see is God never giving up on his people. That's what we see. Even when they hurt him and disobeyed him time after time, he disciplined him them, but he never gave up on them. We read that right here in Hosea. He says, how can I give up on you? How can I surrender you? How can I destroy you? God's love is faithful. That love obviously carries over to our salvation when Jesus gives the famous revelation, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Even the son of God's entrance into the world was wrapped up in love. There was no judgment in that entrance. 
It was all wrapped up in love, not as discipline and judgment from God to the world, but to reveal the path of life and salvation in his love. That, of course, was ultimately fulfilled when Jesus willingly, in love for God and love for humanity, died the most excruciatingly painful death in existence, one that had been perfected by the Romans for maximum pain and unrelentless pain. It had been invented hundreds of years, crucifixion had been invented hundreds of years before the Romans, but they perfected it. Imagine that, taking an instrument of torture and murder and perfecting it to be the most excruciatingly and unrelentless mode of pain possible. Jesus comes right out and describes that in this, in this way. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus saw people being crucified. He knew what was going to happen. But his love was greater than his fear. His love his obedience was greater than his fear. Even beyond our salvation, however, we have some very telling verses about the truth of God's love for us as his children. One is nestled in within one of the most retold psalms, Psalm 23. We read, Surely goodness and loving kindness, love, will follow me all the days of my life. Biblical scholars point out that the word follow is a lot stronger in the Hebrew than it appears in the English. The word in Hebrew used for that word literally means to pursue or chase. To run after, to pursue or chase. David was 100% sure that God's goodness and love were going to pursue and chase him all the days of his life. Since God never changes, this truth has never changed, has it? God's love is not a passive love. It is a passionate, driving, persistent love that chases you no matter where you go. You can never disappoint God enough to make Him stop loving you. As we can see with Israel, you can never hurt God enough. To make him stop loving you. God will never give up on you. That's what God's love is. Faithful. Never ending. How do I know that? Jesus flat out told me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You may have thought you've wandered a long ways from God. Guess what? God never left you. God never left you. He's been working things out in your life for, him, for you to come back to Him. He's been orchestrating things to bring you to rock bottom. He wants you to look around and see 
that there's nothing left except for him. And you know what? That's enough. That's enough. That's exactly where you're supposed to be. Do not be ashamed about that. That's exactly where you're supposed to be. God's love has been pursuing you all this time. Come back to him. How do I know that? Jesus flat out told me. Matthew 18. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices Look at that. He rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. That one of these little ones perish. Even if no one else on the face of this planet loves you with human love, God always has and always will love you. Likewise, no one will ever love you with such ferocity and perfection as God loves you. God will bring healing to your soul and restore life to you. God will move mountains for you to see his love. In the stillness and tears of painful and lonely nights, nights that tear your heart apart and make you think you'll never be able to breathe again, God is there. He sees, He cares, and He comforts. When a girl felt abused at home and ran away, not having any idea what she was going to do or where she was going to go, she stopped by a natural spring of water, and even though she felt completely abandoned, lonely and hopeless, who was there? God was there. God sent his angel and gave her words of comfort. What did she call God? Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are el the God who sees. The God who sees. God sees what you're going through. And his love is too strong to leave you alone. He will raise your head. He will give you hope. And he will give you restored life. Hold nothing back and surrender all of yourself to the most potent and boundless love of God. Love is faithful. Love is forever. Since God is love, love is forever. The Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. But love never fails. The gifts of tongues and prophecies will be fully done away with when Christ returns, as Paul will write immediately after this. There will be no need for them. Similarly, we read at the end of this chapter, but now faith, hope, love 
abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Why is the greatest of faith, hope, and love love? Because while we remain here on earth in this life, we need all three. Because we're still looking forward to the future fulfillment of a completely restored relationship with God for eternity. But once we are fully restored with God in the eternal state, there will be no more need for even faith or hope. God will be right there. No need for faith. No need for hope. A a future knowledge because God is right there. We read in Revelation 21, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. So why is love the greatest? Because whereas every other gift God has given us for this earthly life will end when we are fully reunited with God, love will continue on through the rest of eternity. How? Why? Because God is love. We have all of eternity for God to lavish his never-ending love on us as his children and him as our God. For this reason, Paul can write, love never fails. Because God's love never fails, nor will it ever end. Love is faithful. Love is forever. And now let's look at love as a fruit in us. God's word describes for us that God is transforming us into the likeness of his son. He doesn't leave us where he found us. He's constantly working on us. He's transforming us into the likeness of his son. Since the son of God is the second person of the Trinity and God himself, God is transforming us into the likeness of his love. As such, there is no surprise when we read that the very first fruit that God is growing in his children is his love. That's what we read in Galatians 5.22. How do I know that God is growing his definition of love in us as his children? Because the Greek word used in Galatians 5.22 for love is agape. You may have heard that term before. This is the same exact word Paul uses in describing God's love for humanity and God the Father's love for God the Son. There's no difference in this love. That's why I went through that whole description of what God's love is. Since this is God's love and God is the origin, then God is the one who must grow it in us. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. Out of all the commands, Jesus reiterated an issue. This was the one he left with his disciples right before his arrest. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's incredibly important, isn't it? So how are we to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? By looking at the way God has loved you. The same patience God has shown to you, show to others. 
The same grace God has shown to you, show to others. The same forgiveness God has shown you, show to others. That's a hard one. That same love that God has shown you, show to others. You might say, yeah, but that person doesn't deserve any of that from me. Do you know what they've done to me? Let's turn the question around. Did you deserve all of what you've gotten from God? No. Yet he chose to love you and love you without condition. In his older age, the Apostle John would go on to write these words. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Are you loving as the way, in the way that God loves you? Is showing that love going to feel good all the time? Is showing God's love to others going to feel good all the time? No. Is it going to wound your pride? You betcha. Is it going to hurt? Yep. But just as God feels all of those from us as we fail him time after time after time after time, we will feel that and we are to still love. Love with your words. Love with your actions. Love with the way that you live your life. Show your gratitude for God's love towards you by passing that on to others, especially those who don't deserve it. God's love is unconditional. God's love is unsurpassing. God's love is ferocious. God's love will chase you. God's love has saved you. God's love is calling you home. God's love causes us to love others out of gratefulness. Even as he looked around him and his heart broke and he saw his Christian brothers and sisters being slaughtered simply because of their faith, the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, still was able to write these words. And this is what we're going to close our time with this morning. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered sheep as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul sees this happening all around him. And yet, he still can write, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power and truth of your word. We know what love is. It's you. So Lord, I pray that you would transform us into the likeness of you and that you would grow that fruit of the spirit of love in us. That we would pour out that love on on everybody that we meet because you've poured it out on us. Lord, thank you for that love that chases after us that you will never let us go, that you will never leave us alone. No one, no one can snatch us out of your hand, and you will leave everything, drop everything else to come chasing after us. I pray that if we have wandered away from you, we will see today as our day of coming back home. Today is our homecoming day. Lord, just as in Jesus' parable, the father ran to meet the son that squandered all of his inheritance and basically spit in his face, but he ran to him when he saw him coming from afar because he loved him that much. Lord, help us to remember that. We thank you for the power of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our time with a very famous hymn, Come Thou Fount.